Welcome to The Dead Format, episode 83. My name is Ian McEwen, and I'm joined tonight by my co-host, the Mirren Crusader, Tom Smiley, and we're going to talk about Legacy. Hey, Mirren Crusader was good for me when I was actually able to cast him, but I, I, I feel like you should have opened up with the dirty, filthy, casual Thomas Smiley, because that's what I am now, and I'm completely okay with that. I was trying to do something with, like, Mom and Loyalist, because you're, uh, you're sticking the Mother of Runes over Giver of Runes, and uh, it, it proved costly this weekend. I mean, it would have been costly regardless. I, I kind of knew that this was going to happen, where throughout the week I kept on putting it off and putting it off, and then Friday night I'm taking care of my kid. He feels a little warm. I have to take care of him, and the only thing I have is that Death and Taxes box and that trunk that I pulled out, and that's what I ended up playing. And I was 100% happy with being able to go and play in the event. Wasn't worrying about my results. I literally just went, played cards, and had a good time, and that's kind of the spot that I'm at in my life right now. Bro, so this guy came up to me at the tournament. I don't remember his name, unfortunately. You know, a listener of ours. And uh, he's like, you want a tinfoil hat conspiracy? I was like, yeah, I'm always down, bro. It's like, I think Tom sold all his cards when he bought his house, and all he has left is death and taxes. So, that's awesome. <laughs> all right, one. I, I've actually, I thought about it, right? So, I have all my dual lands. Like, I have, I have all of these cards that I've used maybe none times in the last year <laughs> since I've moved. I've used them none times. I've played Death and Taxes twice, and I've played Byron, right? Yeah. So I I, I don't need them. Obviously, if there's a Grand Prix that comes up, I'm probably going to do a little bit more work than what I've been doing for the Leaving a Legacy events that I go to, just because I love seeing everybody and I want to play some cards. But how much is how much is the opportunity cost of not having that money, right? Like, I just got a new roof put on... I I could use some some exterior work. I want to finish my attic. I hate to turn into Adrian, but like, do I really need them? I know we've talked about this before, but every time something happens with my house, I'm like, ah, you know what? I got this thing I could dip into, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, no, I feel you, man. I just, uh, I wasn't ready to dismiss it as out of hand. I, w- I couldn't really assuage his fears. I was sort of like, feeding into the conspiracy theory it made me think man truth is out there so i will i will take some pictures with my <laughs> dual lands to post along with this episode i still have them yeah to I still hold have up a copy of tomorrow's looking. paper too though i the... mean i still have some cards i'm looking to sell so i have that nine tabernacle that 9.0 that's yeah. 9.5 9.5 8.5 sexy sexy tabernacle and i have a masterpiece mana crypt that I didn't know how much money it was. How much is it? It's a lot more than I got it for. So, I would guess. I would guess that it's two twenty. I think it's more than that. Hold on. I have no idea. It's just a guess. Last time I checked, it was like four hundred. Oh Jesus Christ! It's it's four it's four hundred dollars on TCG Player. Wow. So I'm not sure if that price is ac- like accurately reflects what they sell for. But the buy list is two forty. The listed median is four twenty five. I feel like that that price may be accurate. That's wild. Yeah, it, it's absolutely crazy. But after after getting a new roof, 
<laughs> oh man, all of these things where you're like, wow, that card's really expensive. You just start to think, nope, it's not. <laughs> it's absolutely not. No, they're really not. I mean, for pieces of cardboard, they are, but it's true. It would be so, expensive if I tiled my tiled my roof in Expedition Mana Crips. Yep. So, did you watch the Super Bowl? I did. Now, like, I wanted San Francisco to win. I I really don't like a lot of the other AFC teams. I I like Mahomes. I think their wide receiver core is great. I don't I don't really like Travis Kelsey, but I like the San Francisco defense. I like Jimmy Garoppolo, and it's um it was rough to see what happened. The good thing it was a great game. The halftime show was the highlight, and I. I felt like I had a religious experience when Shakira came out there and I I can't I can't really describe it. I didn't see it, so I have no idea. Oh, you missed you missed it. I know something obviously happened because everybody's talking about it, but I, I don't actually I didn't see any highlights or anything, but it led me into like a like a twenty five minute deep dive Google on Shakira's background and uh, and and her ass. So like. So wait. So you probably know the answer to this because when I heard afterwards that it was Shakira, isn't she from like the nineteen nineties? Is she like fifty now? No. So Shakira is forty three, at least according to my Google research yesterday. Jennifer Lopez is fifty. Now J Lo didn't really do it for me, but who? Shakira. Bro, I don't know. It sounds like empty egg cartons to me. No, you need to go. You need to go watch it, man. <laughs> we have to cut I just that. listeners tell Ian how wrong he is. Ah, uh, all right. We gotta well, calm down. I gotta get the uh, blood rushing back to my head. <laughs> Jesus, man. All right. Well, anyway, I didn't really care who won. I did. I don't like either of the teams. So, congrats to the Chiefs and the whole state of Kansas, for that matter. <laughs> I didn't think you were going to make that reference of all of the people. I don't know what reference you're talking about, but we also, I just want to tell people we have Alex McKinley coming on next week. Uh, for those of you who have been a lot, lot of, what's the word? Laudatory, lauder, a lot of complimentary, whatever. Those of you who like our guests more than just us. Oh, yeah, everybody. We have a very good reasonable, guest coming on. Reasonable people. Mm hmm. So this episode, we're going to be wrapping the LAL, talking about what Top 8 did, what the metagame was like, what our experiences was like, were like. And uh, next week, we've got Alex. And I think that's going to kick off a nice uh, string of guests. So Outstanding. Yeah, man. Do, so, do we want to go into more detail on who we have lined up? or No, because I, I haven't really talked to you about which weeks we're doing what, and we've got to figure it out. So Okay. All right, man. Do you want to start on the metagame? Sure. Do we want to talk about like the whole breakdown that Pat did? Do we want to talk about our overall experiences or where where do we want to go? Uh, let's start with let's start with your tournament actually. Okay. So my my tournament didn't go as well as yours did. We started out uh, we started out really really sort of even. We ended up playing each other early, but I'll go through round by round and talk about uh, talk about what happened. So my deck choice was Death and Taxes. It it wasn't really anything specific that drew me to it other than it was built. 
So when you say, uh, when, like when you take a look at my deck choice, it was mostly because again, I'm a filthy casual and, uh, and, and that's where I'm coming from. But no, there's more our, to it though. It's not bad right now. No, I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not awful. You're right. right. And there were some changes I made to try to adapt itself to the metagame. Um, I played a few more Mirror and Crusaders. I was playing Leyline of the Void in the sideboard because decks that usually don't play Leyline, playing cards like a, like a Rest in Peace. Um, I thought Rest in Peace might be too slow for the graveyard decks of the format now. And when decks that unexpectedly, when decks unexpectedly play Leyline of the Void, a lot of the times they can get a little bit of extra win percentage and that surprise factor. So my sideboard was a little bit different. And round one, I sit down and play the Death and Taxes Mirror and things went great. Like, I I think that I might have been a little bit more experienced in the, um, in the matchup than my opponent. So my opponent had Mom Stoneforge, had a Mom Stoneforge opener. And um, I believe they ended up getting three equipments over the course of the game. And I think that they got Batter Skull Sophie before they got Jit. Mm-hmm. And I was actually able to to get a Stoneforge Mystic online later, find a Jit, and play a play a Sanctum Prelate on one, shutting us both off of Swords to Plowshares. So I was able to make sure that my Jit got active. And then as soon as that happened, the game was over. Yeah. Um. So I think. I think, like, even though I'm a filthy casual, I played pretty well that game. But I I kind of deserved it. So that was my that was my first match. All right. In in the next match, I played against goblins. So again, we're talking about like two not very new meta decks. I know turn one lackey is going to get really mad at me if I say that like goblins isn't like a a real meta deck right now. But it's not the things that people are really worried about. And I don't know. In my opinion, death and taxes is a pretty good matchup against goblins. I'm sure people would disagree with. The additions of Trash Master and things like that, but I felt like the matchup was pretty straightforward. And we were both playing next to each other at tables two and three that round. And Correct. Pat took a handsome, handsome picture of us that we reposted to Twitter because, man, we deserved it. We looked good and uh, ended up playing each other next round. So I don't want to like complain about RNG. So don't think that this. Oh, here we go. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> okay, listen. So I was considering not saying it, right? Like every every match I play, I actually write down like who was on the play, who was on the draw, what the mulligans were, and I remember talking to you about this in round four or five, and I through round three through our match, I had mulliganed every game. Yeah. There were only two games in the entire tournament where I didn't mulligan. And one, I think that's kind of a product of the London mulligan where a lot of the death and taxes pieces are redundant. And you kind of know what you're looking for, whether you're looking for like a mana denial package or you're looking for a Stoneforge Mystic because it's going to be one of those games. Um, but my my draws against you in the feature match um, we talked about weren't weren't optimal. And... In game one, I mulliganed like a pretty unplayable seven. We talked about it. Mm-hmm. And then my my six keep in game one, uh, which I'll, I'll, I'll read it to everybody, was Port, Port, Vile, Mom, Stoneforge Mystic, Mirror Crusader. 
Now, like, uh, I can't remember what I threw back, but those were the six that I kept. I definitely did not throw back a white source. But in my mind, the the cards were the cards that I needed to win the match. There was a Vile, there was a Mother of Runes, there was a Stoneforge Mystic. It didn't have a white source, but I felt like that had the pieces that I needed to win game one. All right? Yeah. Now, uh, I got double Delvered, and I didn't hit a white source, and you dazed my Vile. So it didn't matter. I think even if I could put together a seven, right? Like Like a strong seven keep against Delver, Delver, Days, Force. I'm going to be really struggling to win that game anyway. All right, so you absolutely crush me in game one. And Pat and Jerry have the commentary of the decade. <laughs> the absolute decade. Yeah, because everybody I don't know should go back and watch that. It's amazing. Absolutely go back and watch it. We'll leave a link in our, in our uh, cast description. But... What wasn't broadcast was my little note that I had put on the table before the match started that your library position should be illegal. All right? You're the place... Now, listen. This, if you ever play Ian in a tournament, just have him move his library. It is tilting, and we as... As podcasters, shouldn't be putting that negative energy out into the world. Call a judge. <sighs> All right. So game two. Um, at least I get to be on the play in this game. And again, my my seven was unplayable. I think it was four lands and three three drops. And you're kind of a better mid range deck than me. If I can't disrupt your mana base, and that the lands were no ports, no wastelands. It was just like. Caracas three planes. So I had to ship that back and I kept um I kept a hand that I thought was better than the fives that I would get. Looking back, I probably should have mulliganed this, but it was a planes, so I was really happy I had a white source. A vile, double mom, Thalia, and a Mirror and Crusader. So in my mind, in my mind, I'm absolutely going to be dead to a plague engineer and i knew that keeping the hand but it had double mom so if you have spot removal i can follow it up with another one and i have a thalia and mirror and crusader seemed to me like one of the best ways to try to pressure you given your removal suite that we talked about mm-hmm. i know that it was four lightning bolts two fatal push but no, it was no a double mom push. hand i'm sorry what no fatal push oh it was just four lightning bolt yeah i know that's chain lightning Oh, and a chain lightning. I'm sorry. I I thought that you had borrowed. I did, know, but I didn't end up playing them. Oh, okay. I remember pre-tournament yeah. when yeah, I remember you borrowing fatal pushes. I thought you played them. So, so anyway, as soon as you went to abrade my vile, I I said plague engineer and then scooped up pretty much all of my creatures, um or. Or went to motion to pick up my mother of runes. And I believe I played out another mom and Athalia after that. <clears throat> so I knew that it was coming. But I felt like the only way that I can come back in that match is to play them and then hope you don't have it. Or that you miss a land drop and I draw a port or a wasteland. Because not playing those cards 
then I need to draw to swords to plowshares with you not having any interaction for that swords. I didn't have it in my hand. I didn't have a clock to follow it up with. I basically just had to like to jam there and hope that it, it went through. Yeah. So we had like a like analysis wise, it was a pretty awful match, right? Like it wasn't it wasn't good magic. But I of all of the people to lose to, I was glad it was you. And the commentary the commentary was priceless. So Yeah, I'm not gonna uh I don't wanna dox anybody, but our conspiracy theorist buddy had a had a theory on this one too. He actually thought that maybe you mulligan some perfect sevens so as not to have a real battle because the mulligan kind of takes the pressure off right sure i guess you <laughs> can say it, yeah i mean i'm sure you can say like it, it sucks yeah I it's, to have it's a, a crutch game. and an excuse but believe me <laughs> i would have loved to start with seven cards right because yeah. like i i don't want to like brag but was that the first time you've ever beaten me? That's the first time we've ever played. The only other, the only time we've ever played, other than that, I smoked you with Bant, and you were playing Ant at your house. All right, so Ian is one and zero against me. Oh, my wife is two and zero against you. Wait, no, she's one and zero against me. But all right, are you so talking? Are you saying that is, we didn't? The family is one and one. Are you saying we didn't play Bant versus Ant? Or are you saying we never played before? No, we definitely did that. I thought that we had played before. No, not that I know of. This is unfortunate. Yeah. I thought I thought I was just given one back and I had I had the lifetime edge, but I guess I no, didn't. no. I'm in the, I'm in the hole. I'm in the hole. Not according to Kabu either. Oh, okay. You went you went that deep. You cut and pasted everything into oof. Okay. <laughs> now I know now I know what we're dealing with. So I'm 0-1 against Ian. He is now the Jerry Me of our cast. The the winner. <laughs> The one with all of the performances. I am the Pat Uglo. <laughs> um, and I think that I'm actually okay with this. I think I, even though I lost, I win. I win in the end. Yeah. All right. So um, two and one, still in it. Not really, um, like not really disappointed. It, it, I, I don't feel like my play was off point. It just something, sometimes things like that happen. And I play against... Uh, one of our listeners, nice Semish, guy. Chris Semish. There we go. And he was playing Bug Delver. Uh, Oko Tarmogoyf had um, Baleful Strix, Days, Thoughts. He's like the uh, sort of more mid-rangey Bug Shell that played Delvers along with the sort of expected Bug cards. Liliana of the Last Hope was in there as well. And in game one... I think that I was able to Phyrexian Revoker his Oko and end up like really doing some work with a Mirren Crusader. In fact, I think I might have killed him from like 18 with a Jit and a Mirren Crusader with the double pump. Nice. Um, and I, I, obviously that's one of the reasons why I'm playing Mirren Crusader. I didn't expect more bug than Grixis, but it's nice when the cards line up with like that. Uh, game two, I just absolutely get demolished. Uh, active Liliana of the Last Hope that goes ultimate. I think I was dead to a Tarmogoy for the turn after, so it didn't matter anyway. Um, but in game three, I mulligan to five, and he just completely flooded out. Like, I think it was four lands in a row where he had his mana base available. 
He was looking for action. Couldn't find it. I think I might have taken him off of double block. You did, because he had a last open hand. Yeah, so I, I was able to, like, to port him down until he was at one life. And then his second black source was a, was a fetch land, so he couldn't he couldn't go for it. But we, we actually ended up drawing the match. Like, it, he had turn five at one and we could have drawn, but he was he was awesome and um, and gave me the match win. So uh, I got to play a lot of Magic. I was playing, like, not a lot of games, but I was playing a, a lot of time. And Death and Taxes really, like, keeps you in it. So I was fortunate to be 3-1. and one. And Bryant Cook, our friend... Has been clamoring, clamoring like the last three tournaments. Give me my buy. I want to play you, Tom. Give me my buy. And uh, I play Bryant. So one, like obviously Bryant's an excellent TES player. Um, so I sit down and I understand the matchup. I understand that like there are very, very few things that matter in game one. And there, I mean, there are a few things that matter in game two. You just need to make sure that you get them. So Bryant is on the play, um, and Cantrip's turn one. I play a Mother of Runes, and Bryant starts to go off. Ends up having a decision with a Ponder, where basically if the Ponder hits a Tutor, I'm dead. Like, deterministically dead. And the Ponder whiffed. Shuffle didn't find it, so he was forced to Echo. Um, and his Echo drew him into Brick's where I followed up with a Thalia that I redrew. So like, I end up stealing game one. And I'm like very excited because he won the die roll. Usually that means I'm just dead in game three if it goes win, loss, win. Mm -hmm. And I sort of like take the momentum back and, and get a game one that he was very unlucky to, to have happen. So like, he whiffed on the ponder, he didn't draw off the shuffle, and then he didn't draw another mana source off of his Echo. And I was able to, one, draw Thalia and play it on the next turn. And then he just sport, sort of spun his gears for the rest of the game. Game two, I believe that he um, he made 18 goblins on turn two. I was able to play a Revoker to name his Lion's Eye Diamond. But he had Chain of Vapor that bounced three of his artifacts, or two of his artifacts... He ended up eating both of his lands and he bounced my revoker um, to be able to kill me there. And in game three, I actually had a shot. So I was on the play and he had kind of a slow to develop hand. Uh, I had a Thalia in play that he took a turn off to bounce to my hand. And he made 18 goblins on his turn three. I was on the play and had I drawn a second white source I would have been able to cataclysm and stabilize it to life but I, I so I boarded in the cataclysm because I had some cards that just really were unplayable against him but I wasn't able to find the land to be able to cast it so I'm three and two at that point and uh, like I, I talked with Brian after the match and he said and I don't know if this was like this was correct but he said he thought that i beat 90 percent of the storm pilots with like with the way that i played and i don't believe that he did anything incorrect and the deck is very hard to play but i, I like playing against the people that will that will do that 
You know what I'm saying? Like, I lost, but I had a really good time. And uh, congratulations to Bryant for top eighting. So. So yeah, that's a nice reach round. Well, no, I mean like, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe I give too many reach rounds, but I actually enjoy playing against people that that are really good like that. Like, again, I'm a no, little casual great, now. Yeah. I I honestly back uh, maybe maybe six months ago, before I like understood what spot I'm in in Magic. I probably would have been like, oh my god, like, he he hit the, the tutor off the raw dog brainstorm with no hand because he had to double crack his lion's eye diamond because I had Thalia on the next turn, and he hit his uh, eight outer out of uh, 48 cards. Yeah, like, so we did the math on this, and then later after he left, I was talking to Brian, and he actually claimed it was an 11 outer, so. Okay, well, 11 yeah. outer... I'm not exactly sure what he sideboarded in. I was thinking only the tutors. I'm sure that there would have been another one. I'm not he, sure what. It was too empty and something else, he said. Oh, okay. Okay, so yes, if he was able to hit the empty there, that 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 would have added up. Um, but it was something like game three, 40% against Storm to win mm-hmm. the match. Yeah. I, I feel like that's that's fine and if i looked at that in the beginning i would have said all right so um almost had it didn't happen and was three and two but i didn't prepare for the tournament at all i brought sort of a dated deck list so i can't like i can't expect to do well when that's my preparation you know what i'm saying so i wasn't i wasn't mad and um then in my last round before i ended up dropping i lost to grixis delver and again, play like I won game one, uh, plague engineered in game two, and in game three, it was one of those brutal, brutal games where I was the early beatdown, and he ended up stabilizing at two life with a um, dreadhorde arcanist that I that I ran out of gas to be able to deal with, and just like grinded out all of the advantage to the point where I, I couldn't close and deal the last two. So I was swinging with two um, two Flicker Wisps and he had Push plus Brazen Borrower and then that was the game. Ah. So, so that was my tournament. I got peer pressured into donating to the food drive which was an <laughs> awesome cause. And won a hat that Pat Ugolo now has. So That's a nice hat, man. I can't believe you gave it up. Well, I mean, I was gonna give it to Jerry because he needs it more than me. <laughs> and then I guess I guess Jerry likes the look, so so it's Pat's. Nice. It's Pat's now. I did immediately regret putting it on Jerry's head. After I sat down, I was like, Oh, that was a really nice hat. That was like a really nice, really nice offering that I should have taken and uh, and now I don't have a morning tide beanie anymore. So that's a, that was my biggest misplay of the day. Interesting. You're like, no, the, the biggest misplay was sitting down against me in the feature match. Is that, <laughs> so, is that what you're going to follow it up with? So I finished up my round six pretty quickly and uh, went to get, uh, went to, uh, what's it called? Donovan, Donovan's to get some food. And when I came back, there were still 10 minutes in the round, but you weren't there and they were calling your name. They're like, when I walked in, they're like, yo, where's Tom? Is he with you? I'm like, no. 
I'm like, it's probably in the bathroom. And then they're, they're like making announcements like Tom Smiley, where's Tom Smiley? So apparently you didn't fill out some deck slip or something. I don't know what you did, man. But that's how I found out you were gone. Oh, I, I 100% filled out and signed my match slip okay. with a check mark on the drop and a little note that says, yes, I'm dropping. Yeah, I don't know then. I don't know what was going on. I don't know either. But yeah, maybe they were maybe they were looking to talk to me about my bad day. <laughs> oh, could be. So yeah, that was uh, that was your day. Pretty decent with death and taxes. Yeah, it was it was nice to be able to get to hang out with everybody. Um, James, the Australian player that we've talked about a few times, like had some really good comments on our bannings episode. Oh, where. Really? Like we can we can get into this later, but he he gave me like a really good breakdown that we're probably gonna completely rip off and use in a later cast, so we won't get into it too much now. But I had a good okay. time talking with him too. Nice, thank you for giving me his name because I was struggling with that. So yeah, my tournament started, came in, found you guys. You were with James, and I was bitching about how I couldn't find ley lines. I couldn't find a lot of cards, man, and. This is kind of my life now. Like it's it's such a mess because like I'm playing with this like group of this group of guys that I'm playing with now. I I was thinking about it. Right now I have and this is not an exaggeration, I have two Alpha 40 decks, a 93-94 deck that's Atlantic, one that's Eternal Central Legal, a 94-95 PT1 deck, Ice Age, Alice, Pioneer and three decks for my like legacy gauntlet that are full of proxies. Yep. So I'm like getting the brainstorms out of my Ice Age deck, getting the Force of Wills out of my Alliances deck, like trying to find cards, and I can't find half the shit for Rip Helm. So that was off the table. And I couldn't find ley lines. Like I, I just I don't know where my ley lines are. So I'm driving to the tournament and I'm like, I think I'm gonna have to play Grixis Delver now. So I throw on Jarvis' video because he had uploaded something on the 31st. It was playing a prelim with Grixis Delver, pretty close to the list that I was thinking about playing. And watch him go 0-2 to start with Grixis Delver. So I'm like, fuck, man, what am I doing? Get to the tournament. James saves the day, has the ley lines. I sleeve up Grixis. And at the last moment, decided to play another Gurmag Angler. So I played two Gurmags over a true name. And yeah, no fatal pushes. I played a chain lightning and a spell pierce. I was ready to face uh, lands and breach were were the things I was really worried about with playing the ley lines. And breach showed up. Turns out only one lands pilot in the whole field, but uh, I had the ley lines for better or worse. And round one, I'm playing against this dude Spencer, really cool kid. Turns out he's from Danbury. He's from D Block. So my homie. Uh, I didn't realize, and he was on post. He won the die roll, turn one chalice. So No, I'm sorry, not turn one chalice. Turn one spyglass. Name's Wasteland. I think I'm fucked because it's post and it's game one, and I'm Delver. But I just got two Delvers right online re real quick and ended up getting them. Uh, he stopped me game two, game three. He leaves with a... Uh, Sorry, I'm on the play game three. I leave with the Delver. He goes cloud post tapped. I go another Delver and cantrip to set up the Delver flips. 
and he plays uh, Blast Zone Grim Monolith. So I don't have any more pressure, and I know what's on top because I have brainstormed or uh, I've pondered. So I have like a hand that's like a land, land, bolt, brazen borrower, and uh, force of negation cantrip. So if that blast zone goes off and I lose my delvers, I don't have a clock, right? So I just decide like this is such a weird start to go cloud post. Blast zone, grim monolith. I'm just gonna bounce that monolith and hope that he doesn't have lands to blow up the blast zone. And it worked out for me. So then I, I forced a negation to his monolith coming back down. And he never had lands, and that was that. Nice line. Yeah, it worked out. Uh, round two, I played against uh, Reanimator. Uh, one game one because he Cabal therapied on turn one, and the Enforce Will, and I had the Force of Negation, of course. <laughs> I was sitting next to you that match. Luck sack, yeah. So that was awesome, and then uh, now that—that's one of the reasons why, like the newer reanimator decks are playing Thoughtseize and Duress, right? Like they're not playing Therapy anymore, or am I wrong about that? No, I haven't seen Therapy in a while, man. I was actually really surprised to see it. I think you're absolutely right. So yeah, that—that's a good point. I didn't really think about it. And he had at least two or three of them because he, he discarded some of the Faithless Living as well. But I, uh, game two, I had a ley line. I kept a seven, a good seven with a ley line, but he ended up uh, reanimating a Delver of mine that he that he'd gotten with Thoughtseize on t uh, or a uh, Unmask on turn one. And I never really drew pressure. I drew a lot of lands, and I decided out two wastelands that brought him in a basic island just to, you know, like wastelands didn't seem too important to me. But he ended up getting Lake of the Dead and Hardcasting Grizzlebrand twice and getting me that way. Game three, I again had uh, Leyline and got him. He had actually like a, a pretty sick turn one. Uh, he had a Xanted Swarm turn one and a pretty. He was going to wreck me turn two, basically, but. I, uh, I had a bolt for the Xanthus Swarm, so. All's well, ends well. Round three, you already talked about. We got the feature match. Uh, I called it for the record. I said, we're going to get paired in the feature match, round three, and then we did. It was, it was unfortunate. It was absolutely fixed. So you're calling for the matchup in round three. Magically, it happens. Bryant's calling for the buy in round five. <laughs> I don't know who's clicking the pairings button. But there might have been a little redos going on there. It doesn't matter who clicks the pairings button first, it's who clicks it last. <sighs> but anyway, we, we play in round three, and, and you know that feeling, man? Like, there's this feeling when you're about to play against Death and Taxes, like... It, it's a feeling like, uh... Like, when, you, when you're like not really in shape and you're going to go for a run, and you're like, I know I'll feel better after because I know I'll win, but it's going to be such a fucking struggle for the next 45 minutes. Like, I, just, like, a mentally taxing activity. Like, you're going to put your body through this. It's going to be exhausting. And, like, it always ends well. Like, you never lose to death and taxes, but you're just not looking forward to it. So I'm, like, walking over there, and, you know, really not looking forward to it. And it's on coverage, too, so if I make a stupid play, it's going to going to see it. But uh, unfortunately, yeah, you mulliganed. It wasn't much of a game. kind of sucked, but it's what it was. I didn't really know your list for what it's worth, and I don't think you knew mine if you thought I was playing Fatal Pushes, so. Well, you borrowed them before, and you said that you yeah, yeah. two, so I figured that they were in your list. Right. 
And that was actually, it's funny, that was the one time all day that Gurmag Angler got through for me. But uh, yeah, Plague Engineer. I ended up playing three Plague Engineers in my sideboard, which were just amazing. Uh, of course, they're, they're a disgusting card. But that round, uh, my sideboard really paid off. I had two Abrades, a Null Rod, and three Plague Engineers coming in. And a basic island for what it's worth, but yeah, pretty good. Uh, pretty good to get the win there. It's funny to watch the coverage, but it did suck. Like it didn't really feel like games at all. That was the only matches, uh, only two games of the day. It didn't really feel like games to me. But my luck had run out because round four and five, I ended up playing against Blue Red Delver, and I knew that was going to be a shitty matchup for me, and. Game one in round four, I actually won. So the dude was a, a kid, a young kid from, like, a student from Worcester. And he, he didn't say much at all, like, literal nothing, pretty much. You know, like, my name's Christopher or something. And we played so game one. His conversation was, his conversational skills were similar to my play. In our yeah, match, yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right. So, you know, nothing's really said game one. I end up squeaking out the win because I get an Arcanist online. And uh, he had a true name, but somehow I, I end up going over it. I think I had uh, like a Brazen Bar or get through. But I knew that I was lucky to steal that game. Game two, actually, I let him, you know, he's on the play and he gets stuck on two lands for a bit and he's cantripping. And he's got a Delver in play, and he gets another Delver. And I'm, he's not flipping the Delver at first, because he's just trying to find a land with his cantrips. And then he flips both Delvers, and I go down to 8 life. I'm, you know, I'm sort of using my life as a resource to play around days. And I end up in a situation where I can cast out an Arcanist, protect it, and then Pyroblast both his Delvers on the swing. So I do line that up. And from that spot, I have 4 cards in hand. He has 6 cards in hand at this point. But I have an Arcanist in play and he has nothing so i'm actually thinking i might be good this game but i draw like three of my next four draw steps are useless lands and i end up losing that one and then game three was pretty typical of the matchup you know they're the better dread horde deck and they have eight ways to deal with your dread horde to your six to seven ways to deal with theirs so it really becomes all about that like hyper focus and their borrowers are better than yours because they can bounce your Gurmag and really fuck you on that. So I was shaving down to one Gurmag. Could even be corrected with zero, but they, uh, th theirs are, you know, if, if they have uh, Bedlam Reveler, Borrower is awful against Reveler, and there's really nothing nothing else you can do other than unflip a Delver with it. So that was uh, the story of the matchup, unfortunately. Yeah, I but, think I saw your game three. Okay. Where you were cut off access to Black Mana? No, that was the next round. Oh, okay. So, yeah, interestingly, I, I sideboarded the two rounds extremely differently because, so, okay, right when this game ends, round four, he exhales, like this crazy exhale and puts his hand over his face and he's, he's like, looks me dead in the eye. He's like, that was the craziest game of magic I've played in my entire life. And honestly, it just seemed like a regular Grixis versus Blue Red game to me. So, like, I started talking to him, like, oh, what, you know, do you play Legacy? He, he's a Pauper player, apparently. Like, he mostly plays Pauper, and someone let him borrow Volks for this event. Volks and Force of Wills, actually. That's really cool. Yeah, so he, I guess he just never played Legacy. So, 
it was awesome. I, I felt a lot better about it afterwards when he's like, this was the, you know, he was like shaking. He, and like, I reinterpreted all of the emotions throughout the game. Cause I was thinking he's just kind of a dick, like not really talking much and stuff. You know, kind of serious guy or whatever. But uh, I guess he was just super, like, nervous and analyzing every play. You know, he played really well, you know, for what it's worth, and uh, got the W. And, yeah, he was just, like, ecstatic about it. So I was happy for him. So this dude, Evan, was watching that match, and he plays Blue Red Delver, was playing Blue Red Delver in his tournament. So he was a listener to the podcast and was talking about sideboarding strategies. He said he'd just beaten Grixis Silver twice in a row. We were talking about the borrower problem, how we sideboard the match and stuff. He said he's from, uh, he, he doesn't live in Maine anymore, but he used to live in Maine and be friends with Topher and Adam. And I said, you know, I'm sorry, sorry to hear that. You know, I'm glad that you uh, were able to escape those guys. Yeah, now, I usually I'm like, I'm really supportive of the Maine crew. Where where were they? Yeah, fuck those guys. They were uh, they were I don't I don't even know, man. I don't know a good uh, joke about Maine. I so, I don't either. But yeah, it might it must have been like Lobster Day or something. So then we uh, we get paired, Evan and I, in round five after I just discussed all my sideboarding plans for the matchup and we've gone through. So he plays Greg Stellar for the third straight round. And absolutely crushes me. He played the deck very well. He knew exactly what the matchup was about, and he knew my 60 or 75 or whatever before we even started playing. So I tried to fuck with fuck with up a little bit in game two, and uh, it only went two games, but I tried to uh, switch my sideboard playing a little, which is why you saw all the black cards in my hand. I was yeah. actually trimming down to like two black cards in the first matchup, and I, I went to like five black cards in the second and tried painful truths and stuff, but it didn't work out. I th- I've thought a lot about how to improve that matchup, and honestly, there's everything that I think of just ends up turning me into Blue Red Delver. So I just don't think it is a winning proposition. I think that you're gonna have to forfeit some matchups, or you know, accept that some matchups are seventy five twenty five, and I think that's one of them. That's but, understandable. Yeah, yeah like, I saw. I, I definitely saw the end of that match. Yeah. And it, it just it looked rough. Yeah, it is rough, and so. Then on the way out, I played against uh, Blood Moon. It was this dude, uh, Kelton or Keaton. Dude, uh, game one was was pretty insane. He won the die roll. I kept a hand that was two lands, two wastelands, Delver, Cantrip, Dreadhorde, Arcanist. And he leads with a turn one chalice. So I'm like, well, fuck, you know, this is, this is pretty much over. But I play out my land, I draw a young Pyromancer play out another land, cast the Arcanist, and then end up going Pyromancer cantrip into the Chalice to make two tokens and swing with, you know, swing with the Arcanist. He casts a Chandra, kills the Arcanist, but I draw another Arcanist. So I end up fighting off two Chandras and two Karns with just the Arcanist and the young Pyromancer and just throwing cantrips into a Chalice and bolts into a Chalice and end up winning that game, which is pretty wild. Game two, I bring in Nullrod because he's a Curl Mox deck and, and Liquid Metal Coating and stuff. And I end up casting the Nullrod on turn two, and then he casts Karn, and I'm like, can this be correct for me to bring in Nullrod when he's trying to Nullrod me? But he, he said it was definitely correct. 
and it felt correct for what it's worth, but I ended up taking game two because he didn't have enough lands to play around days with the Mycosynthlatus, so that was that round. Round seven, I played against Curtis, who was on Eldrazi Aggro. I made a joke because he was X and two. I'm like, you must be doing something weird, like mono white depths or something. He's like, no, if I was playing depths and taxes, I would be X one right now. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny, but uh, yeah, Arcanist got him too. And then round eight, I actually wrote a little note about this because I thought this was super interesting. Round eight, I'm playing against Elves. I take game one. He takes game two. Game three. You ready for this? I I'm ready. Alright, let me find it. So game three, I'm on the play, we both keep sevens. My seven is Volcanic, Wasteland, Preordained, Ponder, Thoughtseize, Chain Lightning, Dreadhorde, Arcanist. Seems pretty okay. Yeah, it's, it's a good hand. Like, it's definitely not a hand you throw away. So I go Volk, Preordained to find, uh, you know, another land, Underground Sea or whatever. And I find it, I, I go top, bottom, find the fetch lands. Uh, he goes Bayou, Green Sun Zenith for a Dryad Arbor. So now I draw for my turn, I draw a Brainstorm. So I play my uh, fetch land. What do you do on this turn? So you've got Thought Seize, Chain Lightning, Dreadhorde Arcanist, Brainstorm, Fetch Land, Wasteland in hand. All right, so originally i'm leaning toward playing the arcanist so on the next turn you can thought seize and then either chain lightning chain lightning or chain lightning thought seize exactly but stifling their mana development and seeing what's up a turn early can be like can obviously that's really powerful too so i i think the the play that I probably would have made, which is probably going to be wrong, is playing Arcanist, but I can absolutely see Thoughtseize Chain Lightning. What see, did you I, do? I thought you were going to say that you would Thoughtseize Chain Lightning. I thought this would be an interesting debate because I went Arcanist. Yeah, and that's since you're on the play, right? Yeah. The Arcanist being turned on for one more turn, that's like. That's such such a savage turn three that you can unleash on your opponent. Yeah. That they they're unlikely to explode to kill you on the next turn. If if the play draw was switched, I think you you want to thought these chains. Oh yeah, game. I mean that's totally different. Yeah. But uh, but you probably played the Arcanist and then absolutely demolish them on your turn three. Is that right. what happened? It is. Yeah. And. For what it's worth, the, the thing that I was worried about playing out the Arcanist is if he had Decay. And when I thought seized him on turn three, he did actually have Decay. He So his turn, turn two, after I played out the Arcanist, he played out a Visionary, drew, and then passed. So he was actually trying to find his next land. And when I when I thought seized him, which I think was kind of a greedy play, but I'm not like an Elves Master or anything. That could have been the right play. I don't know. But... When I thought seized him, I saw Glimpse, Glimpse, Natural Order, Nettle Sentinel, Symbiote, Archon, Abrupt Decay. And I was really shocked that he had the Abrupt Decay and didn't cast on the Arcanist. Because I ended up going, you know, Thought Seize. 
I took the decay just because I was like thinking about the Arcanist, but it was probably wrong in, in retrospect because I was about to waste his Bayou. Yeah, so I mean, at that point, right? He untapped, played visionary, missed his land drop, and only had Bayou. Right. I just wasn't thinking. I just like saw the decay and took it, but like it, yeah. it was probably wrong because I I wasn't thinking I was about to waste his Bayou. Yeah, but like, so you're playing against Delver, right? And you're about to miss a land drop. Yeah. So there, there are just there are so many things that can happen if you decay the Arcanist, right? You decay the Arcanist, you miss a land drop, you pass the turn. You said that you were able to wasteland him and you had a chain lightning. Like, even if he kills your Arcanist there, you wasteland his bayou, chain lightning his Dryad Arbor, and he has literally no permanence in play. Yeah. So, at, at that point, I think you kind of need to... You need to play the visionary, hope you hit a land, and then try to develop normally. Yeah. But maybe, I mean, maybe I'm wrong about that. Yeah, no, I mean, I could see it. it. It really surprised me from my seat, like being afraid of the decay, but I can understand from their seat why they played that way. But I basically, uh, yeah, they they drew a dry arbor the next turn, played it in disgust because dry arbor and scoop. So that was, that was the match. I ended up going 6-2. Unlike last time, when I went 6-2, I did not come in 17th this time. I, I was able to cash, so that was nice. And yeah, that was uh, that was my tournament. It was uh, it was good, man. Brazen Borrower is so much better than... I, I mean, I, I thought it was great already, but having Thoughtseize... You know how there's like that liability of drawing Thoughtseize late? Borrower, that, that liability's gone when you can bounce something. It makes it so much better because they're holding one or two cards in the mid-game, and you're like, are they just holding lands or whatever? Just bounce a creature. Even if it's not something that you really would be, you know, bouncing and wasting a thought seize on, the bounce is free. So you just bounce it, and then your thought seize can't miss, right? Like, even if they don't have a better card, you can still just take that creature that you bounced. That yeah. came up probably three times over the course of the tournament for me. It got me out of that situation with the Grim Monolith. It was just a great card. I destroyed a couple double blocks with it. Just so overperformed by such a wide margin. I, I would never consider playing a true name over a borrower again. At this yeah, point. the the last match that I played against Grixis Delver, if the brazen borrower that my opponent had was a click then I would have been able to force through the last points of damage because I had a Caracas. And that that card, I think we called on the cast where I said, I'm not sure if it's going to be great, but I love this card. I'm really happy that it's showing its its power level and legacy. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, real quick, just to review the metagame, we had uh, the, the most popular deck was 12 players on Blue Red Delver. I think it was a good choice. Didn't put anybody in top eight, though, for what it's worth. And that's that's the sort of dilemma, in my opinion. I think that blue-red beats up the other Delver decks, but it's not as good against combo and such. So, you know, it, it's sort of a... Uh, I think that it's sort of like a cyclical thing where blue-red and Grixis are going to keep alternating as the better Delver deck, in my opinion. But that's where we are. Then nine Death and Taxes, one of which was you. As and uh, nine miracles, nine Bant miracles decks. Six of them were four color miracles, but basically Bant miracles. Seven black red reanimator, seven bug delver, 
which is interesting because I didn't really see those walking around, and seven Greeks of Stelver. Five Infect players, which is pretty wild, and two of them did very well. One of them actually top-aided. I, so, I had Infect almost put together from back when we were both on it, when we when we kind of, like, started the cast. Yep. And I, I didn't want to take the time to actually go through and find the rest of the cards, but I really considered it, because I think the big story of the weekend going into it where people were like, all right, we, we have this new combo deck. People are going to be playing it because it's new and they want to see what, what Underworld Breach can do. And I felt like, in fact, it is a, like the combo killer combo deck where you have so much soft interaction and Flusterstorm and Force to where you're able to interact with a combo deck and then also have a combo finish yourself. Yep. So I, I definitely didn't, didn't mind that, that call. No, so it was interesting. To those people. Yeah, definitely. I'm glad they did well. Five breach as well. So that's about where I expected breach to be. I thought it was going to be higher. I thought it was going to be a one or two pilots higher. Yeah, there's there's never going to be like you know ten to fifteen people with LEDs just able to as a mulligan or whatever it's called into the deck just switch last minute. But it was a little bit lower than I thought. But there were some good pilots on breach, so I'm glad I was ready for it, even though I didn't end up playing it. Four Maverick, three Elves, three Rug Delver, three Eldrazi Aggro, three Eureka Tell, three Ant, and then 65 other people playing one or two copies of a deck. So worth noting, only two copies of Depths, two copies of Aggro Loam, and one copy of Lands, which was Freya, who won the entire tournament. Yeah, she deserves it. This is not her first top eight. No, it's not, she's not her first playing, final. She's been playing Lands forever. Yeah, I believe the last final was against Curtis, right, with a depth smear. But I was talking to Freya about lands in general, both before the tournament and before round seven or eight. And, you know, our opinion on the cast last week was that lands was going to be good this tournament. And I felt a little bit validated that Freya felt the same way uh, about lands in general. You know, she was on the... Uh, quote-unquote spheres list like you know. yeah and she she ended up playing bryant the yeah. round before i did yeah and was ab- actually able to like to race storm no spheres no hate pieces just like was able to put together the 2020 before bryant was ready to deal with it yeah and two uh two copies of field of the dead one was actually in the sideboard but that's like a total mid-range killer so respect to that so yeah the the Top eight, the in fifth through eighth place, we had Ben Boradaka, cast a cast friend on Four Color Miracles. Out, Luis, outstanding play. Yeah, Luis Gentile. Luis Gentile, Four Color Miracles. So yeah, Ben, Four Color Miracles, Luis, Eureka Show, John Lee, Grixis Delver, and Kevin Wait. Sprague was the player who made it with Infect. So so hold on. There was a death in Texas too, right? In the in the top four, there was yeah. Okay. Oh, sorry. You're just going to the top eight. Yeah. Um, really quickly, the last two leaving a legacy opens, um, Eureka Tell, yeah, did really well. It was like two in top eight this time. The winner was last time. Uh, no, last time was a depth smear in the finals. Oh, then it was the time before that yeah, that Eureka yeah. Tell won? Okay, so I'm, I'm going to turn it off. Anyway, 
the uh, top four, uh, Brian Cook on the Epic Storm and Joseph Parker on Death and Taxes. And then the finals was Matt Orfanella on Eureka Tell, Freya Sanford, Fearless Lands. So, yeah, very, uh, very legacy top eight. You know, there's five copies of Eureka. No breach decks, you know, no, no uh, hotness, the breach, nothing. And only one Delver deck, Grixis Delver, making the top eight. The top 16 had Bug Delver, Death and Taxes, Infect, Blackguard Reanimator, two Grixis Delvers, uh, Anthony Laverde playing Breach, and John Weissman playing Infect. So those were the six and twos. There was actually one other six and two that got 17th. That, unfortunately, I don't remember who that was. but The Ian uh, McEwen special. Yeah, usually reserved for me, but I was able to get it with the Breakers this time. So yeah, very legacy type tournament results, in my opinion. Format looked healthy, had a lot of fun. Every opponent I played was really cool. The one exception being uh, the dude who was terribly nervous, and that's very understandable. And honestly, it might be my favorite match of the day just because of how excited he was after. Can can we talk a little bit about how how like great the turnout was for this event? Almost 150 people. I saw Joe Brennan drive from New Jersey. Like, the these tournaments every every time are getting better and better. And we're in a spot where sort of like Paper Magic Tournament attendance is dwindling. It's great to see the support of events like this get drummed up. It is so awesome. Thank you so much to Michelle, obviously, and Jerry and Pat and Zach for doing coverage. Got a lot of compliments on the podcast with Zach, honestly, and Editing it, I gotta say, editing it was a nightmare because Zach really has a good radio voice, man. And it made me look really bad. So I was like, man, I should just cut this all up and not even release it. But as I, as soon as I looked at the audio file and saw, oh, there's echo. Yeah. I I like my I've gotten it down to where I can edit these episodes like sort of very efficiently yeah and i was not looking forward to doing that so thank you for stepping up and taking care of it that was huge yeah hopefully the oh, listeners new new thing in my conversation with james i know we've talked about this before but he said listen i know ian spends a lot of time on the outlines you guys have these like detailed cast notes why don't you let people see those no no I mean, yeah, whatever. We can let people see. Okay, well, I was just, I was just saying that there, there was a request. Okay. For us to maybe put those out, so if more people would like to take a look at like, sort of what our planning process is before we derail it all, <laughs> then then you can hit us up. I was saying no because this was a particularly bad version of the show notes, but we have had some good ones recently. Well, we can go back to the, like, like Ian's show notes greatest hits. Yeah. Where you have, like, six-page term papers. Yeah. There's been a co- there's only been, like, two or three of those, but yeah. We can, we can definitely do that. And there's definitely some show notes where, you know, we go off on tangents, and the notes are actually probably more in-depth than the episode, and then there's the opposite of that as well. Yeah, that happens quite a bit. Yeah, but this episode, for example, the show notes are really pretty weak, and we're just spouting off about you know our experience. But the next few episodes are going to be deep dives on decks, archetypes, individual cards. You know, more of the meat and potatoes sort of 
you know, reaching, reaching listeners. Like if you're a combo listener, you're not probably listening to our cast unless you're, you know, Brian Cook and have to listen to every legacy podcast. But I would say, uh, there's going to be a little something for everyone coming up the rest of February. Outstanding. So actually I went on the epicstorm.com today because one, I wanted to get a sense of what list Bryant was working with. And I saw that there was a post for his leaving a legacy tournament report. And I started to read it, and I read all the way down to the round he played me. And then I realized I was reading a report from like six months ago. <laughs> but I'm sure his actual report will be up on the epicstorm.com soon. So you all, you all should check that out. Awesome. Yep. And yeah, this was a 5K, so the winners were playing for 1600 versus $1,000. Fucking amazing prizes. Thank you to Michelle for doing that. Yeah, that was that was big. That was BDE. Yeah, for sure. Big, what's the? Never mind. It was, I don't know uh, what the female equivalent of BDE is, but that's what it was. Yeah. So yeah, thank you so much to everybody. This was an awesome event. We had a great time, and uh, yeah, I'm glad we got to finally play. Finally, you know, figure out where we stand. You know, maintain this hierarchy, and you know, I had a nice. Uh, and nice conversations with people, you know, James, that dude Mike, you know, a lot of our listeners, that dude Spencer. Can we can we talk about Rodney? Rod. Oh, I made I made like a little note that we had to talk about this, but for those of you that don't know Rodney, he showed up ten minutes before the tournament started. Literally. With his deck unsleeved, unsorted between two full long boxes of cards. 2,000 count boxes, yeah. 2,000 count boxes trying to find the specific 75 for Breach. And the other cards that were in his boxes were like graded dual lands, whiteboarded had 16 Force of Wills in them, washed whiteboarded gurus. It was disgusting. And somebody needs to needs to help out their man's next time he he comes to a tournament. That was crazy, yeah. That was that was a sight to see. But yeah, thanks again to. Uh, I actually got to see James play the last round because I was you know waiting to give him back his ley lines, and he played that round really well, man. I was super impressed. He was playing like the four color miracles mirror. Yep. And uh, it went practically to decking. It went probably at least forty turns that I was watching and. Played extremely well. I'm very impressed. Yeah, he was undefeated through round five. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. And at that point, he was two, zero, and three. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Just, I saw him play against Breach, and he had he had the game, like, pretty in control, but just couldn't find a way to close. Like, didn't draw any of his planeswalkers. He was trying to clock with an Ice Fang Coddle. Yeah. And honestly, that's why I didn't play that deck. I mean, I've been playing that deck more than any other deck in the past two months, probably. Like, you know, in, in my gauntlets. I'm usually playing against Rich or Tim or Andrew. Like, those are, you know, the sort of fun matches or test matches I've been playing lately. Once in a while, I'll play Aggro Loam or, or like that uh, Tomas Mar, like the, the Esper four-color Astrolabe deck. But I've been mostly playing the Bant Miracles deck. Mm-hmm. And I just, I didn't want to have to play that under time constraints against unknown opponents because you really are clocking with Snapcasters and I spent a lot of, a lot of the time. People are going to take a lot more time to, to take their turns 
right? Like it's not an MTGO clock. You have a lot of people that probably don't play a ton of magic regularly. Maybe they have in the past, but you get you get grindy games of legacy and every decision is obviously important. You get those like minute and 30 second brainstorms. You get the like 30 second actual decisions where the match goes long and you have two grindy games, you might not be able to finish game three. And that's just sort of the nature of the format without a chess clock. Exactly, yeah. And, you know, green suns, like cast five green suns in a game and people shuffle their library like very, you know, don't move on with the game stage, just take their time shuffling their library. People who don't play maybe that much legacy. Like, you, you just have to worry about that kind of stuff. And I didn't want to have to, so I just played Delver. And, yeah, that's... uh. It's, it's what it is. Like, I, I really don't mind. I, I probably enjoyed myself more playing Grixis. It's such a good deck. Like, it, it honestly, it feels, like, a little bit underpowered when you're writing down the cards, but it's just not. It's like, I've, I, I mulligan probably less than I ever have in a tournament. I probably mulligan maybe three or four times the whole eight rounds. And uh, I played, I guess, 21 or 22 games total. So really impressed with the deck overall. Uh, my sideboard plan... I really wish I didn't run Painful Truths. I feel like only having one of them isn't committing enough to the plan. So, like I said, I don't know how I'd fix the Blue-Red Delver matchup, but I would probably just just forfeit it at this point and have a, have a different card than Painful Truths in there. Maybe, uh, I don't know, honestly. i got to think some more about it, but I'll get back to you. Now, didn't you, didn't you decide what that card should have been? I was thinking it should have been a bitter blossom, honestly, like once the tournament started, because of depths and Oko decks, and I didn't play against them, so I'm probably being uh, like a little bit of a revisionist here and saying because I didn't play the decks, I didn't miss the card. So I think it probably if I ran it back as as it was, not knowing what I was playing against, I would play a bitter blossom instead. So yeah, man, is that all? Yeah, that's all I got. I. I really had a blast and my mentality about magic has really changed in the last year or so for, I mean, the people who listen to the cast regularly, I definitely used to be one of those people who, who like questioned, Hey, why, why would somebody come to a tournament and spend $50 to play if they're not like expecting to do well and prepared and all of that. And now I'm actually that person. And I understand why it's fun. And I want to be around other people that play this game, and it's worth it for me as a casual player to to spend my time doing that. So I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much to the guys who made this happen, and the girls, Michelle, thank you. Everybody with the shop, everybody who helped make this happen. And do you see there's a tournament on March 14th? Is that the regionals that TJ's is running out of there? Or are you talking about the 1K? I was talking about a 1K, I think. Okay, yeah, I know that there's a Legacy 1K coming up. Yeah. And maybe I can make my way to that. I'm actually not sure yet. Cool. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's a wrap.